Hello everybody and welcome to episode 4 of Becoming a Butterfly. Today's episode is going to be about depression and my experiences with it. First of all, I just want to say depression being depicted as a big black dog is probably the most relevant thing I ever saw when I was going through recovery. Remember I watched a video, I've actually got it up here on my laptop, um, by the World Health well, oh, sorry, the World Health Organization. Um, and it literally said, I had a black dog, his name was Depression. And if I remember correctly, my auntie sent it to me. And this basically depicted depression as a dog because it talked about how, you know, the dog lingers around and it doesn't go anywhere. And it's not to shame dogs, but the saying, they're looking at you with puppy dog eyes or they're following you around like a little puppy dog. It's the same for depression. It doesn't leave you alone. The same way this video depicts depression as a black dog, you can depict it as anything that you like. The point of the relation between depression and a black dog is that it's something that never leaves you alone. So the video is saying how it chews up his memories, it takes away your confidence when you're leaving the house, it stops you going out, doing activities that you enjoy, it's hard to do. And I think I'm going to move away from this example of the black dog because I feel bad on dogs now. Um, but my point is that depression is something that once you start feeling um, depressed and upset, and difficult it just spirals you know it starts affecting every ounce of your life and it's different from feeling just sad or a bit lonely or a bit anxious it's not like a one-day thing it's a long-term thing and I'm not kind of saying that people don't suffer with depression but I'm just saying it's it's another extent of sadness and hard um, emotion. So I now kind of describe my down days as meh days. So if my friends are, you know, they message me and they say, how are you doing? Um, how's your week been? And if I say like, oh, it's been very meh, they'll kind of know, you know, I'm struggling. It's been just a mentally different week for me. But I not, I'm not saying I'm recovered from depression because I don't think you ever really can be. But I wouldn't say I'm in a depressed episode to the extent of how I used to be I don't think I've had one of those for a while but don't get me wrong I can still fall back into those episodes where they last longer than a week two weeks three weeks three weeks a month I remember when I was in final year and I always look back now and say final year was the best year of my life 23 and I gotta say it was people might be like wow you've had a boring life but no final year was it kind of was the year I felt like felt like me I felt like a woman um, I made some amazing friends and memories but moving on from that I went home um, in final year at Christmas and I had an operation on my hand a really small operation to remove a ganglion from my wrist and you'll probably be like "Ooh, that's gross Adrian if you're listening he'll probably be laughing right now but anyway so I had this operation I knew it was coming but it was on my right wrist and I was trying to revise for my exams and I'm rubbish with exams anyway, but trying to revise and write notes and thinking forward thinking about writing essays in your exams in January, when you've just had an operation on your wrist and you can't move your wrist and your hand is green, 
you don't really have the most positive mindset towards kind of what's coming. And there is so much worse in life, I know, than having a small operation on your wrist. Trust me, I've had worse operations. I've had worse experiences. But it was so easy for me to spiral back into that little hole of depression because I centered my kind of emotions and mood solely on my wrist. Every day I'd look at my wrist and I'd be like, oh, it's got this sweaty big cast on it. I can't revise today. I'm going to fail my exams. I can't go and sit my exams. I'm going to fail final year. I'm not going to get a 2-1. I don't want to go back to uni. I might quit. I might drop out. And honestly, I had talks with my mum about dropping out of university. I had made it through two years already of studying, a year of placement, which was way harder than this one operation. And I got to this point after having the best first term of university I just got to this point where I was like, I'm going to give up. I am going to drop all of my education at university for this one goddamn tiny small operation. It was, and it was serious, you know, I'd put back going back to university for ages, even though I lived in a great house with great friends. I didn't want to go back, not because I didn't want to see them, but because I didn't want to face the reality of university. Um, But I did get, Funnily enough, I did apply for extenuating circumstances and I actually just sent them a picture of me lying in hospital bed, high as a kite, with the peace sign and my wrist and I was just like, huh, kind of struggling here. Obviously there was more to it than that. So that helped, you know, mentally. But that story was just kind of an example of how easy it is to spiral back into a hole of depression once you've kind of gone through... um, once you've gone through it initially in even harder times. And I guess what you can also take can take from that story is that literally anything can happen and you can fall into a that's kind of downward spiral of depression. You could probably fall over in the street one day and start feeling a bit depressed the next day, the next day, and then the next day. To me, depression is not about one single event happening so the same as I said with anorexia in my previous episode that it doesn't have to have a cause neither does depression to me depression is about catastrophizing and that is one of the first things I learned from my first um therapist she told me she was teaching me a lot about CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and she explained what catastrophizing is and my mum forever reminds me of it I'll be like, oh, I can't cut this apple so I can't have lunch. So I'm going to eat, I'm going to be hungry and then I'm going to eat shit and then I'm going to gain weight and then I'm going to be depressed. That was a silly example, but you get my point, you know, one thing leads to another. And that is essentially what catastrophizing is. And at the end of it, you're hopeless and helpless. And that is what depression does to you. It turns one simple thought every single day into a cycle of catastrophic events that probably will never happen but you are so ingrained on this kind of negative feeling that you really truly believe it will happen one of my biggest and best realizations about depression was the feeling of numbness so essentially depression can start as a meh day or a week or you know feelings and um, thoughts being sad and catastrophizing but at the um, pinnacle of it, I'd say you just feel numb. You know, you don't feel any emotion. So someone could be like, oh, Sarah, you look ugly today. And you'll literally just be like, cool, okay. And someone could be like, oh, your hair is on fire. And you'd just be like, 
okay, may as well just set my whole self on fire. You know, like that is very extreme, but that is what depression is. It's just numbness. And whilst I just gave a quite an extreme example, depression does also lead lead to things like self-harm and suicide or suicidal thoughts. And that is something I have experienced. And I don't doubt that many people who have been depressed have also experienced the same. And I am going to do an, a, um, a podcast itself on self-harm um, and kind of suicide thoughts. But people will listen to this and they'll hear me say what I've just said about suicide and self-harm. And they'll think, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I remember I actually put a picture on Instagram a while ago, I think it was last summer, about suicide. And it started with some questions and then some answers. And I thought it was basically saying, like, have you ever looked at a cliff and thought, what if I just walk over this? And my sister messaged me and she said how great that post was, but that some of her friends had messaged her and said, like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. That's how far it had got for Sarah. And this is one of the things that depression does amazingly. Depression forces you to act not only like your normal self, but kind of extra happy. And again, this leads me back to another video, which I can't quite remember when or where I saw it, but it was years ago. And it was about these two guys who were best friends. And it was showing one of them was really happy and one of them was just kind of like, not really happy, not really moody. He kind of looked like numb. Um, as I've been explaining, but it turned out the one that actually committed suicide was the one who was really happy. And this is a massive thing that being depressed does. It forces you to go out and make the extra effort. You put all your time and energy into other people that you have no time and energy to put into yourself to stop yourself um, accepting these depressed thoughts. So whilst depression is making you feel numb and sad and weak and lonely and isolated that's all going on on the inside in your head but on the outside it's making you appear happy and smiley and healthy and that is why I believe anyway it's so hard to truly gauge um, people's emotions so now when I ask people you know how are you I'm having a conversation with a friend and I've been talking a bit about myself and I'll be like oh come on let's talk about you now I don't mean like how are you yeah I'm good thanks see you later I actually mean how are you like I want to know I want to know what's going on in your head um I want to act as a sounding board where people can answer how are you and tell me even if they're good you know tell me what's going on tell me if they're good they're bad what's been happening I actually am interested because if I wasn't interested I really wouldn't ask. Trust me. I think personally, from everything I've been through, especially with depression and um, all these kind of difficult thoughts I've had to process, it's made me not only be selfish in the good sense so that I can learn to be selfless, but it's also just made me be kind of like blunt and real. So when friends come to me and they say like, hey, Sarah, can I have a chat to you? I need to talk to you about something. I'm not just going to be straight up and be like, yeah, sure, go ahead. I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing. I'll say, look, give me five minutes, an hour tomorrow because I want to talk to people and I want to give them my full attention. When I'm trying to help someone, I don't want to be like, yeah, I'm just watching a movie, but yeah, talk to me, tell me what's going on. No, I want you to tell me what's going on, what's going through your head, 
but at a time when I can give you my full attention. Otherwise, what's the point? I'm not listening and I'm not going to help you, at least not to my best ability. And I have friends who message me a lot, um, different people, and I really actually really do like it when they message me you know it makes me kind of feel proud that I've got friends who can rely on me because that's something I've always struggled with and like I said in my previous episodes that's one of the things my mum thinks kind of led me on to this whole journey was not having friends that I could truly rely on and I do now I definitely do now thank god for them um but being able to be that person for some of my friends is amazing they just will message me these essays of how they're feeling and what's like what's happened and stuff and I won't um I'm not fake you know I'm not like oh that's tough things will get better I'm like yeah that sucks like that is that is really crap right now and I'm really sorry you're going through it but hey I'm not gonna feel sorry for you I'm gonna help you kind of get yourself going and you know what the only person that can actually do that is you so when my friends come to me and they say hey can you help me I'm like yeah of course I can but you know who can help you actually do things yourself And when I say that to people, they're like, oh, here she goes again. But I'm being serious, you know, I learned the hard way. The only person that can help you is yourself. And that is not to say that others can't help you at all. But I'm saying that in the sense of the only person that can actively do something to get you out of that depressive, whether it's an episode or a constant mood, is you. And whether that means getting yourself off the sofa and going to therapy or going to see a doctor for some medication if that's what helps you you have to actually do actively do something like somebody cannot come and drag you and take you there because if you don't want to go you're not going to absorb anything you learn in therapy or you're not going to take your medication or you're not going to listen to the advice that's been given and I am a sucker for not listening to my own advice but I will listen to other people's advice so if I can give out good advice whilst I'm taking other people's advice at least do that, you know, take other people's advice and give out your own good advice. Now on that topic of you being the only one who can actively do something for yourself, some people listening will be like, yeah, but it's a lot harder than that. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's so much easier said than done. And it's very much a catch 22 situation. You know, the best thing to do when you're depressed is get up, get out, do something, be active, keep your mind busy but at the same time being depressed makes you not want to do that maybe it forces you to be around other people and smile and pretend that you're happy but actually in those situations even when you've got a smile on your face you're thinking oh I do not want to be here I hate everything and everyone I just want to be at home by myself and that's really hard to fight because that's kind of the first hurdle once you wake up um, one morning and decide I'm actually gonna put one foot in front of another today and do one small thing to get back on track that is when you're breaking down these depressive walls but until you do that the depression is just going to eat away at your thoughts your feelings your happy memories what you love doing all of these things that are going on inside your mind and I think of it as a black cloud that just kind of looms over your head and it doesn't go away. Think of a really rainy day. If you're in England, that's not hard to think of. It's probably happening right now. Maybe not because it's summer, but whatever. Think of it as this big black cloud that just doesn't go away until you start moving. Once you're walking out of that cloud, you're walking away from those negative um, emotions and feelings. And in regards to walking away from things... Um, oh God, I've had a mind blank. 
completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, walking away from things. Be right back. Okay, sorry, I'm back. I remembered. Walking away from things. One of the best things I ever saw online was thinking of depression as this dark tunnel or this train wreck or this really bumpy aeroplane ride or a sea storm anything you know that is real that could possibly happen to you in some sort of mode of transport but something that you would never ever think you'd even you would never dream about stopping in the middle of it you wouldn't dream about stopping in the middle of um a storm at sea you wouldn't dream about stopping the plane if you were going through a bit of turbulence you wouldn't dream about stopping um going driving on the road you know i'm trying to think about examples here but you get my gist and my point is that when you are depressed you think i'm literally just going to give up you just think giving up is the answer and you just think i'm just going to stop you know i'm going to stop my daily life i'm going to stop doing what i love doing stopping is your only reasonable thing that you can think about doing and I like to bring that into the question and I ask people when they say that to me and they think I just want to give up I can't bother doing anything and I and I challenge them and I say imagine if a herd will use black dog analogy again sorry dogs if a herd of black dogs really angry we'll, we'll do wolves you know violent wolves were chasing after you and you were driving down a road would you just stop there and then and give up and kind of let them overtake you and climb into the car and probably physically harm you? No. And you are lying to yourself if you're saying yes, because you wouldn't. And that is how I think with depression, you just can't give up. You cannot just suddenly be like, I'm just going to stop doing everything because then all these black dogs and that dark cloud and all these thoughts and feelings are just going to completely shadow you and it's going to get harder and harder the more you give up. Now, one thing I really did want to touch on was the global extent of depression. So when you're depressed, not only do you feel like giving up and you feel lonely and you feel sad and all these negative things I've already talked about, but you also think you're the only one. You start to believe, you know, that you're the only one that can feel this numb or this crap or this lost in life sorry just had some noise complications and i'm back back in the room um yeah so i'm looking at the world health organization website right now and as of the 30th of january 2020 so that is approximately just under half a year ago the stats were that more than 264 million people of all ages suffer from depression and I know, I understand when you are feeling, when you are depressed and you are low and you're feeling all these horrible emotions, you can't just instantly think, hey, it's all right, you know, I'm not alone. 264 million people in the whole world of all ages are suffering too. Like, yeah, come on, I get it. I'm not saying that that's going to snap you out of it. But I'm just explaining how widespread this is. And that is, again, one of the reasons why I'm sharing not only this episode but all my other episodes because there are so many people going through what I am talking about but people do not talk enough and it is not okay to just be like mental health matters it's world mental health day or it's let's fight depression day it can't just be a day it has to be an everyday thing and I'm in no way shaming these kind of these days or these campaigns that people do they are great anything that 
gets us talking to limit the stigma on it is amazing but the extent that this is worldwide and the like how little it's actually talked about is just beyond me another stat that i'm reading right here is close to 800,000 people die to suicide every year and it's the second leading cause of death in 15 to 29 year olds and i don't know the actual stats but it's, I think it's the men's biggest killer, maybe, in all, certain ages or all ages. I'd need to look that up. But that is how serious it is. And that is why, at the start, I said it's about feeling sad, but it's not just feeling sad for a few days. And it is mainly feeling numb and pretending that you're okay. Because these people who are pretending they're okay are coming home and they are being, they are self-harming they are having suicidal thoughts, they are isolating themselves, they are not speaking and it's getting worse and worse for them and they are feeling more and more lonely. Which brings me onto the biggest thing that has ever helped me and that is talking. Anyone who knows me knows I love to talk. Heck, I've just started a podcast where I talk to myself for 20 to 30 minutes every episode. I love talking, okay? And I genuinely believe that talking or writing are the best helpers for you whoever you are wherever you are whatever age you are whatever you're going through talking to someone and trusting in them not necessarily trusting that they won't tell anyone I mean that's up to you if you want to tell someone else or not but just trusting that they'll listen to you they have to listen they can't lecture back to you they have to listen to what you have to say so when I ask people you know I'm like how are you well by the way I'm always here if you need me I try not to just say, I'm always here if you need me. I try and say, like, I'm an ear for you to listen to. I'm a shoulder for you to cry on. These kind of cliche things. But to everyday people who don't get asked that a lot, which is most people, that can change, you know, that can change how they react. They might be like, actually, yeah, she's going to listen to me. She's going to let me offload. And that's what I'm going to do because... I've gone through all these issues myself and I've not had people to offload to. That is how me and my mum and me and my sisters have become extra close and me and my dad in recent years because I've learned that if I'm struggling, I have to just tell them, you know, they can't see through my eyes. Even if I look in pain or I look sad, they can't see through what's going on in my head. And if you ask them, they'll probably think, yeah, she can ramble and talk for days. And I often do find it hard, sorry, to process my thoughts and put them into words but through having friends and family to talk to that's got easier and that's again why I I never really say I don't regret what I've been through because going through depression has taught me this seriously valuable tool of talking and listening and having someone to offload things to and writing like I said if you don't want to talk to people or you don't want to maybe one day you want to talk to someone but the next day you don't but you want to get things out just write it I've gone through pads and pens like endless amounts of just writing stuff down and even sometimes just scribbling literally just going round and round and round and round in circles I've gone through pages and stuff and yes sometimes I've had to if it happened at night maybe I was having um negative thoughts and it was spiraling and I started having like panic attacks and things I've been through periods of that and I've just scribbled out loads of stuff and kind of got my anger out and my kind of energy that's coming from these negative emotions. In the morning, I've kind of looked at it and it scared me. You can just rip it up and chuck it out or you can set it on fire or people have, you know, 
in a safe environment, please, throwing things at like walls and stuff, anything to get that, not, it's not anger, it's extra energy. It's all the emotions and feelings and thoughts and stuff that are bubbling around in your head and your body. And that's what you've got to kind of get out. You've got to let it out. I used to go to the gardens, what my therapist, one of my therapists told me to do and just scream. And I did that once I was having a panic attack and I ran to the back of the garden and I screamed. And I mean, it didn't really help stop my panic attack, but it did kind of help me feel like I was letting something out because if you don't let things out, then it starts bubbling up even more. And that's when you can start hurting yourself. That's where my self-harm came from. I wasn't letting things out. So I started trying to, I once put it in a blog post, I was harming myself on the outside to try and harm what was going on on the inside. And again, when I talk about suicide and self-harm in another episode, I'll talk about how being more open about what was going on when I was self-harming and feeling so low about suicide and things, how I kind of got over that and got around it because I didn't go to any therapy for that. I didn't really tell any therapist. I didn't tell many people. And I can't believe I've actually just said it also opening on a podcast, but that's where I've got to, you know, talking is my therapy. And I guess this podcast is even a bit of therapy for me. I'm sharing thoughts and feelings and emotions and opinions that, and probably not even my mum and my sisters and my dad have heard. Some of my closest friends haven't. And to me, that just shows how valuable talking can be. And again, how valuable listening to be because can be, sorry, because you guys are all listening to this and you're probably relating to it and thinking, oh my gosh, she actually experiences that too. I'm not alone. And I'm kind of putting a face to one of those 254 million global people that's gone through this. And so have you. So it's a bit more of a relatable statistic, you know. And the last thing I kind of want to focus on is something I touched on earlier was I briefly said I don't think I'll ever be fully recovered from um depression and I think I've said the same in my eating disorders because I do believe like mental health you you aren't fully recovered and I don't know speak to someone else who might have a totally different opinion but for me personally that has been my experience at least over the 10 11 12 years I've dealt with all of this stuff going on and in a way it kind of gives me a comfort that I will never be f- I wouldn't say free, that I'll never be fully recovered. I think there's um, a bit of a fine line here because I personally would say I'm free from these labels because I look at these labels as when I was, had a really bad relationship with food, for example, or a really bad relationship with my mentality and I didn't really know myself, I didn't know what was going on. And that's what those labels kind of look like to me. But now I'm over that. I'm kind of free from those. But I'm not fully recovered in the extent that I will never have a depressive episode ever again. Or I'll never have a suicidal thought again. Or I'll never have a self-harm thought again. Or I'll never have a panic attack again. Or I'll never struggle with food again. You know, these things I'm more susceptible to. And in that sense, I don't think you can be fully recovered. But I am grateful to all of these things because... I have learnt about them in, in general life, like in a whole society, That, but there is no one size fits all. So I've also learnt about them in relation to myself. And doing that, I've learnt more about myself. I've learnt about my emotions, my feelings, my thoughts, my opinions. I've grown as a person and it's really opened my eyes. And I said um, in my previous episode about eating disorders um, that I'd never been through any sort of mental health difficulties before. So going through all of this really opened my eyes to it. 
And that is what you can do with depression. You can bring your black dog and you can understand, you know, you can build a relationship with it and you can kind of work with it. And if you appreciate those bad days, I'm not saying when you wake up and you have a depressive, say, day or week or episode or whatever, and you're like, oh, I really appreciated that. Like, I loved it. No, I don't mean like that. But I mean, if you appreciate it in the sense that, yeah, some days are going to be shocking. They're going to be really hard. And those depressive episodes are going to be really, really tough. And you're probably going to think that you want to give up again. But if you just kind of accept that and acknowledge it and let these thoughts kind of work their way through your mind and bring them in and deal with them one by one, then when you come out the other side again, you will appreciate the good days even more than you previously did. And to me, that's the most important thing I've learned going through depression is expressing your emotions with other people and also acknowledging your emotions. Don't let yourself kind of realize what's going on in your head and then think I'm going to do something to distract myself because yes we do need to be distracted so that we're not always alone with our brains but we also need to acknowledge why we might be feeling this way or what's going on in our head what are the underlying things that are making us feel like this and sometimes there might not be any or at least any obvious but once you start processing your emotions and just letting them sit there instead of acting on them straight away then you can kind of work through these depressive episodes. Um, On that note, it's been almost half an hour, so I'm going to end it there, but I'm going to do, I think I'll make it into a part two of depression, yeah, so this will be episode four, part one, talking about mainly just about depression, and then episode four, part two, will be about how depression kind of led to suicide and self-harm, anxiety and panic attacks. So I hope you enjoyed this one, Um, it was another tricky topic to tackle, and I think I've kind of rambled on a bit at points but I hope I've got some points across that are valuable to you and thank you very much for listening something I would like to say that I've not said in my other ones is just asking you guys to go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review my podcast please that would really help because it means that my um podcast will hopefully go up in the rankings the more it's rated and reviewed and seen and I know people prefer Spotify to Apple Podcasts. You don't have to listen to it on Apple Podcasts. You literally just have to either Google it or go on the app, look for it, and it takes about five minutes. And know the Sarah on there who rated and reviewed it with, I think it was five stars and said it was really good. Promise was not me. I honestly hold my hands up. That was not me. I don't know where that came from. Wish it was me because, heck, this podcast is great, I think. But yeah, point is, please go rate and review. That would be very much appreciated. Thank you.